Welcome to the sermon podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the Word of God, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life. Turn, if you would, in your Bible again to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, and I'll let you remain seated, but do remind you it is God's Word that we're reading. In Mark chapter 7, we're going to begin, I'm going to begin one verse earlier, because I want to tie in the previous miracle from last week to this week, because he went out of Israel for both of these miracles, but if you would, in chapter 7, and beginning in verse 30, and when she was come to her house, she found the devil, or the demon, gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. This is the woman now who begged Jesus at least three times one time we saw here, but the whole conversation about even the dogs eat the breadcrumbs that fall underneath the children's table and how God healed her, cast out the demon without even being in her presence, just said, go thy way because of your faith. Go thy way. Your daughter has been set free from this demon. And then in verse 31, and again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came under the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. Again, this is outside of what we would call Israel. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and he put his fingers into his ears and he spit and touched his tongue. And he looked up to heaven, and he sighed, and saith unto him, Ephethah, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much more, a great deal, they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He make both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd be with us today as we read your word, as we help us to understand your word. But Father, help us to understand that you are a miracle-working God, but not only do you do miracles. Have you done miracles? Are you doing miracles? Will you do miracles? But also the fact that you do miracles with a purpose. And God, I pray that you would help us to see that, help us to know that, help us to seek you and your miracle-working power in our lives today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
When I read the Bible, when I read these passages or any passages, I begin to ask myself questions. Certain questions jump off the page to me or jump to the forefront of my mind. And I hope as you read the Word of God, questions enter your mind as well. Not questioning whether God said it, whether God did it. That's not what I mean. What I mean is why or how or what led up to that or why did He do it in that way? For example, why did He say to the woman, your daughter is healed or freed of the demon without ever going and touching the daughter, but yet here he spits on his tongue and sticks his fingers in his ears. Why does he do things the way he does it? Why does he do miracles? Does God still do miracles? Do you believe God still does miracles today? Just raise your hand. Wave your hand at me if you believe. Listen, I hope you do. How many of you can say, I've seen a miracle? Raise your hand at me. I hope every last one of you open up and raise your hand. You say, well, preacher, I don't know that I, I'm not going to lie about it. Listen, God does miracles every day in every place and in, does them in your life every day. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But some, why is it that some miracles we read about in great detail? And why is it that there are others that we hear general details? And why is it others that... All is, that we don't hear about at all. And what I mean by that is this. There are some that we get very specific description of what he did. Spitting on his tongue, sticking his fingers in his ears. And then there's other places where he goes into a city and he heals all that were sick. That's all we hear. That he heals the sick and he casts out demons. That's all you get. Why is it that some are done specifically or mentioned specifically? Why are some mentioned generally? Why are some not mentioned at all? You say, what do you mean not mentioned at all? Because again, go back to what John said when John said that if all the works of Jesus were written down, the world itself could not contain the books. And so there's many things, many miracles that Jesus did that we don't read about. So why is it God wanted us to know these and why some more specifically than others? What is the purpose? These are the questions that I ask myself, and we ought to be asking ourselves. Why is it that some are chosen to be the recipient or experience a, if you want to call it a dramatic or a praise Jesus miracle, and others aren't? I mean, some people are healed from cancer and some people are not. There are some people in the Bible that had leprosy that never got healed, and there are some people that did. There are some people that were blind that were healed. There are some people that were lame that were healed, and surely there are others that were not. Jesus, and now we're not going to read about it here, but Jesus goes into the, to the pool of Bethesda, and remember the story of the lame man that, that was there, that it says that in King James says the impotent man, but it means he couldn't walk. He was lame, had been there for 38 years, but Jesus walks in and there's a whole court of people that are sick. But Jesus goes and heals the man that had been there 38 years. Why does God do miracles in some places and not places He doesn't? He said, well, it's about faith and those who had faith. Well, it can't be that every time because there's some people that we hear nothing about their faith, but yet God healed them. There's other places where it says that God did not do many great works there because they did not have any faith. And so there's times that faith comes in, there's times that he just casts a demon out or he does something, and it's nothing to do with the faith of the person, it's just with the power of God. 
But do we want to see miracles? Do you want to see miracles in your life? And I mean plain, obvious, clear as day, God did a miracle. I'm not asking you to answer out loud, but you can nod your head or shake your head. or. And again, when you answer that, understand that we may freak out if God did a plain as day miracle right here. In fact, we may even question, was that really God? I think I've used this before, but if this pulpit were to erupt in the flames and a voice came out, I'd be hightailing it out of here, wouldn't you? But yet God made a bush burn and didn't get burned up, and God spoke out of a bush to Moses. I heard about a cow that was wandering around the streets and almost hit Sam, or Sammy almost hit it. A few others saw it. What if when Sammy, what if when you saw that cow and you almost hit it and you honked your horn at it or whatever you might have done, what if it opened up its mouth and started talking to you? I'd hightail it out of there, wouldn't you? But yet God used a donkey to talk to somebody. At the same time, even though I say that might freak me out, I do, from the bottom of my heart, I want God to do real miracles. I mean, and He does real miracles. And, and in fact, when we say that, well, God doesn't do any miracles in my life, can I just remind you about conception? And if you were here today, you were conceived, and that was a miracle? Can I remind you that you being carried in your mother's body for nine months or how many ever months it was, was a miracle? Can I just remind you that you being birthed through the birth canal or C-section, it was a miracle? Can I just remind you that the blood pumping through your veins without you thinking about it, with the lungs expanding and breath coming in without you thinking about it is a miracle? And you say, well, that's not the same thing. Really? Try going without your heart beating for a while. Try going without your lungs breathing for a while. Try going without your brain synapses firing for a few moments. God does miracles in our lives, everybody's life, every day. God does miracles in everybody's life. Here's the thing about miracles, though. Whether it be healing a lame man and having him get up after 38 years and walking away, or having a man that was deaf having his ears opened and his tongue plain of speech. Here's the thing that you need to realize about the power of God. We call them miracles, right? To God, they're just everyday things. We're like, wow, God healed a blind man. And God's like, that's, I created the universe. I don't mean he says that arrogantly. I'm just simply saying, in the light of he gave somebody the ability to speak or healed a lame man or healed leprosy, but he created the universe by saying, let there be light. And there was light. It seems miraculous to us, and it is, but to God it's simply a touch of His hand or a word from His mouth or even just His presence that was the miracle. So why does God do miracles? I want you to see at least three major things, but this morning I'm probably only going to get to two, and I may have four things. I'm not finished yet but I don't have time to get to all of them anyway. I want you to see in this miracle the purpose of this miracle, but really it's the purpose of every miracle. But there are certain things, the reason I'm sharing this message, or God led me to this message, these points 
today is because of this special miracle that he did. But we won't get to that until next week. But I want you to see, number one, why does God do miracles, or what is his purpose in doing a miracle? Why do we, does he do a miracle with a purpose? It's to touch us. To touch us with his love. Now, he touches us with several things, but with his love, he wants to touch us with his miracles. He wanted to touch, and he did touch these people with miracles to show his love. The greatest miracle of all is salvation through his son, that God, who knew no sin, would become sin for you and for me. The one who was perfect would take on imperfection. The one who had never opened his mouth, everything he did glorified God. Everything he did was according to God's will because he was God in the flesh, born as a man named Jesus, that he would love us enough to leave the throne of heaven and to come to earth and to die in our place, the greatest miracle. And I say the greatest miracle because there are worse things. You say, well, why doesn't he heal everybody? And we've talked about this a lot, but I just, just a little different angle from this particular passage. And understand that there are worse things to happen than not have your disease healed. There are worse things to happen than to not experience a miracle of healing or a demon being cast out or some other miracle in your life. And that's the missing the miracle of salvation in your life. That's the greatest, that, that, if we go to John, and I'm not, you don't have to turn there, but in John 5, 14, there is, again, I'm going to go back to the man, the pool, the man that was in the pool of Bethesda. He was healed, and when they came and questioned him, he said, I don't know who it was. But then Jesus comes back to him in 5.14, and he says to him in 5.14 this, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin, don't, or, uh, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Now, he's not saying that you were diseased or given, became lame because of your sin. He's saying that don't miss what I'm trying to show you. And that's the fact that I have power to heal, but I also have power to forgive. And the greatest miracle is to forgive sin and to give you power over sin. So don't sin or something worse will happen to you. And therefore, don't get healed. Don't be the miracle of birth. Don't experience the miracle of life. Don't experience the miracle of breath in your lungs and a heart beating in your chest and miss the fact that God not only gave you life, but gives you eternal life. That's the greatest miracle. 
Not only did he give us salvation through his son, but he also gave us the miracle of love because we have love and we can love because he first loved us. It tells us that in 1 John, that he first loved us. And he showed us that by dying for us on the cross. But he wants to touch us with his love. And he does miracles because he loves us. He loved the people that he touched. He loved the ones that were watching and experienced the miracle. And he loves us that are reading about the miracle and experiencing the miracles today. He loves us and wants to touch us with his love. But also he wants to touch us with his compassion. Because you can love somebody to a certain extent and not be moved with compassion as Jesus was. And I think our problem is sometimes is that we love people. Yes, God, you said love our neighbor. Yes, you said God, love our neighbor. But we're not moved with compassion for our enemy. We're not moved with compassion for our neighbor. We're not moved with compassion for our brother or sister. But Jesus was moved with compassion. Ten times. Let me go back and make sure I check my note. Yes, 10 times in the gospel, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion or that he had compassion. His compassion is mentioned or the word compassion referenced 10 times in the gospel. Not where he just says you ought to have compassion. It's where he had compassion. 10 times. Therefore, he preached the good news. That was a miracle. Therefore, he healed the sick and the lame and the diseased and did miracles. But he showed his passionate love over and over and over again, despite the fact that they rejected him, despite the fact that they refused him, despite the fact that they wanted to argue with him, just like we do. He still loved, and he loved, and he loved, and he showed compassion, and he showed miracles because he wants to touch us with his love. He wants to touch us with compassion. He wants to touch us with his power. I mentioned it already, but I'll mention it again. Every one of us has experienced his love. Every one of us has, has experienced his compassion. And every one of us has experienced his power in our lives. I won't go back to my whole thing about the power of life and conception. Well, I guess I will. Birth and breathing and vision and a heartbeat. That's all a miracle. The power of life that we have in living, not just in our birth and our physical life, but also just in living the mercy and the grace and the patience and the love that he shows us is a miracle. The fact that a righteous God doesn't squash us flat when we mess up. And he doesn't because he loves us and he has compassion for us. But his power that he gives of not just life and in life, but new life of salvation, the Christian life and the strength and the courage that he provides for you and for me and the power of eternal life.
to live forever with him in heaven. Oh, listen, he wants to touch us. And that's why he does miracles, so that he can touch us with his love, with his compassion, with his power. Why? To involve us. That's number two. And the reason he does miracles is because he wants to involve us. And that's where I want you to look a little closer right here. He wants to motivate us. Now that we have seen, and I hope everyone that is listening, watching here today has seen and heard and believes that God is doing miracles in your life every day. And he has from the time that you were conceived in a twinkle in your mom and daddy's eye. He ha and, and really before that, because he created the universe and he had a plan for your salvation. But let's just start with conception. Everybody Everybody has experienced his love, his compassion, his power, his miracles in their life. And therefore, that ought, when, when you see a miracle and you know about a miracle, that ought to motivate you. God did that for me, or God did that for them, and he can do it for somebody else too, just like he did for me, just like he did for them. That's why there were crowds coming to him. That's why the people were coming to him. But again, we see his love and his compassion and his power and the fact of the going out. Look there, if you would, in the verse with me in seven and look down again in, in verse uh, 31. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee. He went out. He didn't say, here I am. If you want something, come and get it. He went to where they were. And we can't sit here, as I said last week, and say, here we are. If you want truth, come on and find it. No. We've got to be motivated because we've seen the miracles. We've seen the love. We've seen the compassion. And he's in us. And so, therefore, we've got to get out and say, listen to me. I'm, ple I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you. This is the truth. This is what's missing in your life. This is the answer to life. This is the answer to all the problems that you're seeing in the world. Because all the problems that you're seeing in the world is a sin problem. And Jesus is the remedy for sin. They went out, just as he did for the woman whose daughter was possessed by a demon. He had gone out. We are to go out and minister just as Jesus did. But here's the second part. It says also, we read down in verse 32, and they bring unto him. So not only did they go out, but they brought to him. Jesus went out, we're to go out, but we're also not only just to go out, but we're to, to tell people about him, but we're to bring people to him. So yes, go out from the church. Yes, go out from our homes. But yes, also bring them in. Invite them. Encourage them. Beg them. Come and see. Do a word study sometimes and go and see how many times you see in the Word of God. Come and see. Come and see. It's amazing. The power to go out, the power to bring in. They brought this deaf, stuttering, speech impedified man to, to Jesus. 
and we are to go out and bring people in. By the way, when I say bring them in, don't just bring them to church. Although, listen, invite them to church, yes. Don't just bring them to, don't just invite them to church. And don't just invite them to come say, hey, come see what's happening in Pleasant Hill. Turn them to God's Word. And don't just turn them to God's Word, but turn them to Jesus. That's what they did. They didn't say, hey, come to the synagogue with me. They said, hey, come meet Jesus. I, l listen, if you bring them to church, they're going to hear about Jesus. If you take them to the Word of God and say, hey, here's something in the Word of God, let me tell you about it. They're going to hear about Jesus. Are we doing that? Are we going out? And are we coming in? I, this seems like it's been a common theme for me this year as far as the getting out and the going out. But I'm telling you, we've got to do it. People went out. Why? Because they had heard or seen what Jesus was capable of. The people that brought them, now, was it the disciples that brought them? It doesn't exactly say. But we know that there were people that would flock to Jesus and bring people to Jesus. And they did so because either they heard about what he had done, or they had seen what he had done, or they had experienced for themselves what he had done. And so, therefore, those are the ones that are be going and telling and bringing. That's you and me. We've heard, we've seen, we've experienced. The people experience Jesus through the seeing, through the hearing, through his personal touch. But here's the thing. And here's my question for you. Those people that heard and saw and experienced were not satisfied. And therefore, they wanted more of it for themselves, but they also wanted more of it for those they cared about. That's why they brought the man to Jesus. And so my question for you and for me today is, I'm going to assume for one second that everybody in here is saved. On your way to heaven, are you satisfied with that? Is that good enough for you? You say, well, that's wonderful, preacher. What are you trying to say? What I'm trying to say is this. Don't just stop with, I've got my ticket. I've got my way. That's the most important thing. And just like on the airplane, they drop down the oxygen masks and they say, first, put the oxygen mask on before you help somebody else or try to help somebody else. Yes, before you can ever help anybody else, you first have got to be saved. But once you are, then start putting the oxygen mask on other people. Start showing them how to put the oxygen mask on. Start showing them the bread of life, the water of life, the Word of God, meaning Jesus. They weren't just satisfied with what they had seen and what they had heard and what they experienced. They wanted more. Don't you want more? 
Are we just satisfied? Well, this is where we're at, and we've got a church, and, and, and I'm good. No, I want to dig deeper. I want to know more. I want my knowledge and my wisdom to increase, as the Bible says that it should. I want more of Him. Are we satisfied with what we've seen and heard? Are we satisfied with where Jesus has brought us to this point? Are we satisfied with what Jesus has done for us, or do we want more for ourselves and for others? And I want to close with this, because I'm out of time. I can't believe I'm already out of time. But what were these people doing? Maybe even gotten to the miracle yet, but it's still part of the purpose. Is he wanted to touch them, and he wanted, that, he, he wanted to involve them. But look at what these people were doing. They were bringing, they were, Jesus went out, they were bringing in, but these, these people that brought him to Jesus were interceding for the man. It was an interceding and an introduction. And I'm going to focus, if I can, on both, but just, just in the time I've got left, the interceding part. We like these that brought the man to Jesus for a miracle, need to intercede for others so that Jesus can do the miracle of salvation in their life, or if they're already saved, the miracle of growing their faith, growing their walk closer. And so you may say, well, I don't know anybody that's saved. Then work on those that are saved. intercede on their behalf. The people begged Jesus to heal this man. Notice it says there, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. That word beseech was beg. Go back to the woman who begged Jesus and pleaded with Jesus and humiliated herself before Jesus and everybody else that was watching and said, please, will you heal my daughter? Please, will you heal my daughter? Please, will you cast a demon on my daughter? To the point where the disciples said, make this woman go away. And Jesus said to her, it's not for me to give the food that belongs to the children to you that are a dog. And she said, but the dogs get the crumbs under the children's table. Jesus said, because of what you said, go thy way. Your daughter is set free. Look back. For this saying, verse 29, go thy way, the devil, the demon is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come, it's exactly how he said it was. She found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. Listen, I'm telling you that... She interceded for her daughter. These people interceded for this man. Who are you and I interceding for today? And in closing, let me just give you this. Abraham, if you, if you want to understand the importance of intercession, meaning being a, you say, well, what's interceding? A go-between. You know God and they don't, or they do know God, but there's, you, you are closer, or you also know him, so I'm going to go on your behalf, and I want to bring you over here, and I'm going to, God, this person needs this help, and God, this person needs to be saved, and God, this person needs to be healed, God, this person needs to grow closer to you, whatever it might be, you're interceding on their behalf. You're not asking for you, you're asking for them. So who are you interceding for today? Because I see intercession all throughout the Bible. 
Abraham interceded for Ishmael. He also interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. You listen to me. Those two are important because why? Ishmael was an illegitimate son that God never, that wasn't the plan God had for him. But, God, but Abraham interceded. Sodom and Gomorrah was a wicked, awful, homosexual, hateful, idolatrous cities that God destroyed with fire. But Abraham interceded on their behalf. And God said, yes, if you find even 10, I won't destroy the city. Moses interceded for the Israelites countless times at Mount Sinai twice. And again in Exodus 33 in the wilderness. But all three times God was saying, get, get out of the way, Moses. I'm going to wipe them out and start with you. And Moses says, go, Lord, don't do it for your name's sake. What will people say if you wiped them out? You brought them out of Egypt just to destroy them in the wilderness. And he interceded on their behalf. He begged God on their behalf. Again, when Miriam and Aaron turn against him, Moses intercedes on Miriam's behalf. In Numbers 12. And then in Israel, for Israel again in Numbers 14, when the people refused to enter the promised land again, Moses intercedes on their behalf. Elijah interceded on the, on the people's behalf on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. Ezra on behalf of the nation of Israel in Ezra 9. Daniel on the behalf of the nation of Judah in Daniel chapter 9. Nehemiah for the remnant of Israel and for the city of Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter 1. The Syrophoenician woman we just talked about on behalf of her daughter. Jesus intercedes for Peter when the devil says, I'm going to sift you, I'm going to sift him like wheat. And Jesus says, the devil, Peter, has requested you to put you through the sieve but I have prayed for you and when you have turned help your brothers Jesus intercedes for disciples and for all believers in the garden before his death in John 17 Jesus for those that were crucify him what did he say as Landon was just pointing out to me the difficulty in him to say anything at all when he was hanging on a cross but to lift himself up and say father forgive them that was him interceding on their behalf and on our behalf Stephen as they were stoning him for his testimony and his message. They were stoning him and he was dying and he said, Father, forgive them, just as Jesus had done. Paul, for the church in Romans, in Ephesians, in, in Ephesians, in Philippians, in Colossians, he says, I am praying for you. And Jesus, it says in Hebrews chapter 7, is interceding for us today and every day in heaven between us and the Father, interceding as these people interceded for the man who was without hearing and couldn't talk plain. And so my question for you is, do you see that, yes, God is doing miracles in your life, and he's doing them for a reason, and he's doing them to touch you with his love and with his compassion and with his power. And because of that, will you please be motivated to go out and tell people and please bring them in to Jesus and say, hey, look, this is what God can do, and I'm going to intercede on your behalf. Oh, you may not use that word. They may not understand that. But will you, like the woman for her daughter, beg God and humiliate yourself just to pray to God?
Will you, like these people, intercede for a man who is so desperately in need? There are people all around you that are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, they may be saved, but they're floundering, they're wandering, they're straying. Oh, there's others that are, that are lost, and they're desperately blind and without hope. And oh, we have the hope, we have the life, we have the message, we have the answer, we have the promises of God, we have the gospel. Won't we intercede on their behalf? Let's pray. We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.online. Thank you, and may God bless you.